We're opening God's holy and inspired word this evening to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 17, and we'll read through verse 37. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot till one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least, these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison." Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt, not, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, then that, thou, then that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife shall give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And then these next verses are the text for the sermon this evening. Again, ye have heard that it hath it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, 
because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. We read this far in the holy and inspired word of God. We've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of heaven and its citizens. In the Beatitudes, Jesus describes the the citizens of the kingdom of heaven according to their spiritual character. The Christian is not someone simply who lives by a different set of rules than the unbeliever, but he's a different person in his character. He's changed from within. And so the Beatitudes describe the spiritual disposition of the child of God. He is one who's poor in spirit, who mourns over his sin, who is meek in his manner, who has a spiritual appetite, a hunger and thirst after righteousness, who is merciful, who is pure in his heart, and who is a peacemaker. And we've seen that Jesus' aim in this sermon is to create a contrast to the popular teachers of his day, the Pharisees and their externalism. We've seen that especially in the first verses that we read this evening and verse 20 where Jesus says, "'Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven.'" Later in the book, Uh, Later in the sermon, beginning in chapter 6, he'll speak of how they do so many things to be seen of men, but God is looking for something different, deeper in the heart. And so Jesus applies verse 20, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, specifically to a number of the commandments and contrasts the popular teaching of the Pharisees, ye have heard that it has been said, and his own teaching, but I say unto you. And we've looked at some of those already in verses 21 through 26, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, ye have heard, that's not a reference to the Old Testament, but to the Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, And essentially, the Pharisees said, it's not difficult to keep the sixth commandment. Just stay away from actually, physically taking the life of another. Don't kill anybody. And then you're clear of the requirement of the law. But Jesus says, I say unto you, if you're angry, and if you speak evil words against your brother, you're guilty of murder. And then we looked at the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And here Jesus addresses two subjects. First, they said that the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, only had to do with marital unfaithfulness. And so it was easy again to keep the commandment. Just don't be unfaithful while you're married to your spouse. But then, second, they allowed no fault divorce. And you could write a billing of divorcement against your spouse for any cause, and then you are free of the marriage and free of the sin against the seventh commandment. 
And Jesus says, But I say unto you, if you look on a woman with desire, with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And what he's emphasizing to the disciples is that God expects much more than simply external conformity to standards, external obedience. Our obedience must come from the heart and must be an expression of our love for God and the neighbor. And he comes this evening to the matter of oaths and honesty. There are two commandments in the text this evening. First, the third commandment, that in the matter of oaths, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You must keep your oath, perform your oath unto the Lord. Verse 33. But then also the ninth commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, when Jesus says in verse 37, Let your communication be, Yea, yea, nay, nay. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, when you communicate with one another. And his point is the same, that our understanding of these commandments must not simply be external, but must come from a heart that loves the God of truth and is determined to be honest and truthful. There are two specific areas of application in the text for this evening. First, Do you take seriously the vows that you have spoken before God? And then second, do you speak the truth in your dealings with others? Those are the questions that the text puts to us this evening. Let's consider these verses under the theme, your yes and your no. Notice would be first the abuse of oaths, that's by the Pharisees and their teaching. Notice second, Jesus' reset on truth. And then notice third, the serious calling for us. First, the abuse of oaths. As we look at these verses, we see that there are four ways in which the Old Testament law was rewritten by the scribes and the Pharisees. First, In verse 33, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, or thou shalt not swear falsely, but perform thy oaths unto the Lord. This is similar to the earlier examples. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery in this way, that the Pharisees applied the commandment very narrowly to really just one way in which this commandment could be broken. Just as they said, killing applied only to murder, and adultery applied only to extramarital affairs, so keeping your oaths only applied to a public vow or oath in which you had invoked the name of God. And so in verse 33, there are three Old Testament passages in view. Leviticus 19, verse 12, You shall not swear by my name, falsely. Numbers 30 verse 2, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. And Deuteronomy 23 verse 21, 
When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. And the Pharisees and the scribes said that the key words in these three verses were the words, unto the Lord, in my name, and unto the Lord thy God. So that if you took a vow in which you invoked the name of God, you called God to be a witness to the truth of what you were saying, you were obligated to keep that vow. And it would be a sin to break it. You must perform your oaths unto the Lord. But as long as you didn't call on God to be a witness to your oath or vow, it wasn't really an oath. So truth and faithfulness, keeping a vow, didn't matter. And you see again how they reduced the requirement of the law of God. That made keeping the law very simple. You could make all kinds of oaths, but just never call on the name of God as a witness. That led to the second way in which they rewrote the law. Here in verses 34 through 36, they developed a system of different formulas for making vows in which they called on something other than God something from the creation. And so Jesus mentions here that they would swear by heaven, they swore by the earth, they swore by Jerusalem, or they swore by their own head or their own life. And the idea is this, that depending on how serious you were about what you were saying, you would pick what formula to use. If it was very serious, you would swear by your head, by your life, or by heaven. But if it was less serious, you might swear by something here on the earth. And so that's similar to today, where someone will swear by a stack of Bibles, or swear over their dead mother's grave, or swear this way, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, and invoke something other than the name of God as a witness. That was the second way in which the Pharisees rewrote the law of God. And then third, with all these lesser vows and oaths, they could excuse the sin of lying and make promises, all kinds of promises that they never had any intention of keeping. If you made an oath to the Lord, you had to keep it. But if you would swear by your neighbor's cow, that really wasn't very important. And so there were things that they said that should be taken seriously and other things that were just flippant. And really, the making of oaths and vows was a kind of game that you played with people in which you used dishonesty to manipulate others. And in this way, the Jewish teachers lorded it over their subjects. Like a child who lies with his fingers crossed behind his back. They played their games with truth. That led to the fourth abuse of the law, which was that they used these different vows and oaths for, we could say, dramatic effect. In a society where you couldn't really trust that anyone was telling you the truth, you expected some verification 
from the one who is saying something to you in the form of a vow of some sort. And that became a part of their daily conversation. So they would use these oaths, swearing by heaven or earth or the temple or the altar or whatever it was, in very trivial conversation items. And they made all kinds of rash promises with these oaths. And that's kind of reflected in our society and speech today when a person will add to what they're saying to tell you the truth, to be honest, or, no, seriously, I mean it. And they added all these things into their daily conversation. So those were the abusers of the law and the rewriting of the scribes and Pharisees of the Old Testament law. Before we look at Jesus' answer to this, I want to call your attention to one thing about oaths. Oaths and vows and the abuse of them here in the Pharisee system and also in the society in which we live today shows the sinfulness and the dishonesty of the heart of man. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's deceit in the heart. Romans 3 describes the universal depravity of man. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And it does that by talking primarily about words that people use. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Are we any better than they? It asks. And the answer is no. We're not. You tell your child... Clean your room, and I'll get you an ice cream. And your seven-year-old comes to you and says, Daddy, do you promise? Do you promise? Why does she say that? Because she knows that you can't always be trusted. That last time you said that, you forgot. Or something else busy or important came up. Do you promise that? And really, this is what oaths and vows reveal, that, that man can't be trusted, and because he can't be trusted, we, as it were, have to ramp it up in our conversation and swear by an oath when we say something or make a promise. And Jesus' teaching here is, that among the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it shouldn't be that way. That we need to repent of our deceit and lies, fight against them in our heart, find forgiveness for them in Jesus Christ, and live as he instructs us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Back in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments 
and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus applies a very strict application to the least of these commandments. So what does Jesus teach? Well, in these verses, we must, first of all, see this, that Jesus does not forbid swearing an oath in God's name when that's required. That's the way some take what Jesus says here, verse 34, swear not at all. The Anabaptists and their descendants. But it can't be taken that way because of several things. First of all, Jesus is not replacing here the Old Testament law, but here he's dealing with the perverted traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's not saying oaths were allowed in the Old Testament, but they aren't anymore, but he's We've put it this way, pushing the reset button to take us back to the Old Testament law and its original intent. And he's saying to the people here, don't make the kind of flippant oaths in the name of other things than God and don't include them in part of your daily conversation as is the practice among the scribes and the Pharisees. And when we look at Scripture, we see that believers, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, made oaths. There are many examples of that in Scripture. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David, and many more. And in the New Testament as well, the primary example being Jesus himself. When he's on trial before the high priest in Matthew chapter 26, and he's silent, he went before his shearers as dumb. Carrying out sin, submitting himself to the injustices of man. He was silent. He held his peace. And finally, the high priest says to him in exasperation, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And whereas before this Jesus was silent, now under oath before the high priest, he answers and he says, Thou hast said, or we could put it this way, you are correct. I swear before the living God that I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he made that under oath so that it would be clear to all who he wants. So Jesus doesn't forbid swearing an oath here, certainly not when he himself is placed under oath. But then second, Jesus' teaching here is this, that he points to the absurdity of the system of oaths that were allowed by the scribes and the Pharisees. This is not the only place in the Gospels that Jesus gives this instruction. If we turn to Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus speaks his woes against the scribes and the Pharisees as hypocrites, we see more of this in verses 16 and following. They said, you can swear by the temple, but not the goal of the temple. They said that you can swear by the altar, 
but not the sacrifice that is on the altar. And Jesus makes the point there that those are absurd distinctions. If you swear by the temple, but not the gold of the temple, how absurd. Because when you swear by the temple, you swear by the temple and all that it contains, including the gold. If you swear by the altar, Jesus says, you're swearing by the sacrifice that's on the altar. Because it's the altar that makes the sacrifice holy. And he adds there in verse 22, He that sweareth by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sits on the throne. So you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God and God himself who is on that throne. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is making here in verses 34 through 36 of Matthew 5. I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, who is God, of course. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, for you're not the one, God is, who can make one hair white or black. You see what he's saying? You can't disconnect the creature from the Creator. Those are silly distinctions used to excuse lies and to excuse sin by saying something like this. Well, I didn't call God to witness. And his point is this. That God, who is omniscient and a God of truth, is always witness to every word that you say. You can't dismiss God. Whenever you make a rash oath, whenever you call on something other than God, you are giving to the creature God's place as the omniscient one. And that, of course, breaks other of the commandments. God alone. This whole subject is addressed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 37, because it was an important subject at the time of the Reformation where the Reformed Church was divided between the Lutherans, the Reformed, and the Anabaptists. And so Heidelberg Catechism 102 asks this question, may we also swear by saints or any other creatures? And the answer is no, for a lawful oath is calling upon God, and this is why, because he's the only one who knows the heart, and he will bear witness to the truth, or punish me if I swear falsely, and that honor is due to no one else, no other creature than God. So how absurd to swear an oath in the name of the temple or the altar or your head or Jerusalem or heaven or earth. God is still a witness to your words. 
Third, Jesus in his instruction here offers a solution to all this in verse 37. And now we have to understand that this is the application of the principle that he sets forth in verse 20. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That is, your obedience to the law, your uprightness, your godliness must be of a completely different character than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's what he's pointing to in verse 37 when he says, But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. He means this, that when you talk and you say yes, that should mean yes. And when you talk and you say no, that should mean nothing other than no. He's saying that in our everyday conversation and interactions with others, we shouldn't need to use these silly oaths and promises to affirm that what we're saying is true. The Christian should be known as a person of honesty. He should be trustworthy in all his dealings. And you shouldn't have to wonder what he means when he says something or whether he means what he's saying or means something else or is manipulating you with words or is speaking flattery. And so in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 25, the Scripture commands us to speak the truth in love, to put away lying, to speak every man truth with his neighbor. For this reason, we are members one of another. We must speak simply, honestly, and lovingly keeping our promises, not harming with words, and using our words to promote the good reputation of others. It's that simple. A system of oaths or honesty. Jesus is saying you shouldn't have to use verifications in your speech that what you're saying is true. Christians should be honest with each other, and Christians should expect in their honesty with others that other Christians will be honest with them, and that we can trust one another. And now you say that's very idealistic. That's not the way it is in the real world, or even in the church. So then what? Well, you can't really fix another person's lies. And that's where the seriousness of what Jesus says here tonight comes home to us. There's a warning here, a strong warning and condemnation of those who deliberately twist the truth. And so Jesus says at the end of his instruction here in verse 37, Whatsoever is more than these, yes and no, Meaning yes and no. Whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And as in the Lord's Prayer, evil here can also be translated the evil one. Lies come from Satan. 
In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He's a liar from the beginning. And so to tell a lie is to imitate Satan, and it's to align ourselves with Satan over against God and what is true. And the Scripture tells us plainly that God will destroy liars. Revelation 21, verse 27 There shall in no wise enter into it, that is, into the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. There shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the warning is clear. Repent and turn from deceit, falsehood, and lies. And that warning includes those who, in the name of truth, will lie about others. They're as worthy of condemnation as the heretic. Don't you see how this brings home the seriousness of Jesus' instruction? In Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus says, that every idle word that men shall speak, shall, they shall give an account of in the day of judgment. Every idle word. Just as in the seventh commandment, Jesus says, when you look with lust, you've committed adultery, and you're answerable to God for that. So he's saying here, every little word that you speak, you must give an account of before God. Again in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments. Too often we think the truth isn't that important, is it? And there's something that we call white lies, obfuscation of the truth that we think is okay because it's not going to hurt anyone. How seriously do we take this? Are we concerned only to say what's true about others? Do we acknowledge and repent of the lies and the deceit that's in our heart before God? Are we fighting in our daily battle against sin, against the corrupt nature, the heart that's desperately wicked and full of deceit. James says that the tongue, words, are untamable, a world of iniquity. And that's because that tongue has its source in deceitful hearts. Let's speak truth unto another. Be trustworthy, honest in our dealings. For we are members, one of another, and members of Christ. So, of course, this is a serious calling. I want to finish by giving five points of application that are connected to Jesus' instruction here that put this calling very clearly before us in a very positive way. The first is this. 
that we should take seriously the vows and the oaths that we have made before God. You've done that. You've taken vows and oaths before God. That's not only something that you do when you go down to the courthouse and you're a juror or a witness and you put your hand on a Bible there and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There are oaths that are required in the civil sphere, but there are also many oaths that we take in the church before God. For example, vows in marriage, vows in church membership, vows as office bearers, vows when we bring out children for baptism. He's very serious. They must be kept. We're obligated to keep them. And we're obligated to keep them even at a cost to ourselves. We're going to sing this in a little while, but from Psalm 15, verse 4, the question at the beginning of the psalm is, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who is this? It's the man that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. And that's described this way in verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, and he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And then this, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That is, you make a promise, and you refuse to renege on your promise because you've made that promise. And even if it costs you, you'll keep that promise. We could go back to Jesus' previous instruction on the seventh commandment and see how that applies in marriage. You make a promise till death do us part. And the believer doesn't go back on that word, no matter what it costs him. So first... Take seriously the vows that you've, making before, that you've made before the Lord. Then second point of application is this, to be completely honest and trustworthy in your daily conduct and interactions. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says here, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. He's talking about the conversation of your daily life, your interactions with other people. Your interactions in the home, your interactions in the workplace, your interactions with neighbors. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Be honest and trustworthy in your daily conduct and interactions so that people don't have to second guess what you say or wonder when you say it whether there may be some ulterior motive behind what you say. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, we read this in John 1, verse 47, that Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What a description. An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. The disciples often squabbled. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? What a blessing Nathaniel must have been. 
in that environment. A man in whom is no guile. Do you know someone like that? You know his words can be trusted. You can appreciate her for her transparency and her honesty. You never have to question motivation behind what's said. In whom is no guile? Would Jesus say that of you? Third, in application, watch all of your own words. Watch all of your own words. That is, be alert to your own lies, to your own exaggerations, to your empty promises. Watch for what we call white lies in what you say. God knows the heart. Don't use God's name lightly or anything that is remotely connected to God's name lightly to swear an oath or a curse. This, watching our words, should be a part of our daily battle against sin. In Psalm 141, verse 3, the psalmist says this, Set, Lord, a watch before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. In Psalm 39, he says, I was dumb, and I opened not my mouth, because I didn't want to sin with my lips in the presence of the ungodly. And here it's important for us to, I'll say, be accountable. Find somebody, a trusted friend, who's willing to give you input on your words. Maybe it's your spouse, your family, your children. They hold you accountable for your words. And they speak God's word into your life when your words are not true or loving. We need that because are we aware of all the deceit in our hearts and all the deceit? that comes off our lips? No, we aren't. Watch your words. All your words. Then fourth, in your relationships, aim to speak truth, to speak what's true. Find friends whose words are pure. Don't make friends with a liar, a talebearer, a boaster, someone prone to exaggeration. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Don't mess around with him. Bad company corrupts good habits. And here, we should help one another. Here we should help one another rather than tempt one another. Don't listen to gossip. Don't listen to slander. Be sure that what you say about others is true and honest. Don't boast. In your relationships, speak truth. Finally, 
Watch all your life so that you don't put yourself in situations where you'll be tempted to lie in order to cover up sin. Isn't this a way that we're often trapped into lying? Isn't this one of Satan's greatest traps to get us into a lifestyle that's a lie? First we lie to cover up what we've done. Then we begin to lie to ourselves, and soon we start to be convinced by our own lies so that we're living in an alternative reality. We live a lie, and then we're so deluded by our lies that we can't even see the truth about ourselves. And then when we're confronted with sin, we won't acknowledge it because we believe a lie about ourselves. What's that? That's a hard heart, a hard heart. Hardened not only by sin and its pleasure, but more by deceit and its power. We close with this final thought. There's forgiveness. Haven't you tonight, in Jesus' instruction, felt that what Jeremiah says is true, the heart is deceitful above all things? Who can know it? There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Not only... Is there forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but there is liberty in truth? We could put it this way. There's liberty in confession, in telling the truth about yourself. In repentance, true repentance. Isn't that what Jesus says when he says, The truth shall set you free? He means not only that believing truth objectively sets you free, salvation, redemption, through Jesus Christ. But he means there's liberty for our souls as we let our yes be yes and our no be no. Speak truth one with another. And then remember this too, that Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so as the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus prays concerning in John 17, as the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, he leads us not only into understanding truth in the scriptures, but he leads us to be honest so that our yes means yes and our no, no. May God help us in this. Amen. Father, we thank thee again for the instruction that Jesus gives us here. We see the high demand that even the least of the commandments places upon us. And we pray, Lord, for hearts that may be directed 
in the way of that which is true as we live before thee in the fear of the Lord, God omniscient, God of truth, who will bring every idle word that we speak into judgment. We thank thee for thy Son who sets us free and who forgives. In his name we pray. Amen.